pray a moment. Lord, thank you this morning on this Sunday before Christmas. Thank you for joyful worship. Thank you for hearts that are full of your praise. We invite you now, Lord, by your spirit to come and speak through the scriptures and through my words. Speak to our hearts and minds that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're wrapping up our preaching series called Arrival, this Advent series in which we've been looking at the themes of Advent as represented by each of the candles of Advent. As I often say, if we're going to do liturgical works, if we're going to uh, do things, we should know why we're doing them and what they are all about. And so we've been looking over these weeks at the themes of Advent, each represented by a candle. We began the first week with the theme of hope. We have a certainty and a hope in Christ. We need not fear a judgment. We know that our hope rests in the fact that he will come again. We also looked at peace, the second candle, the candle of peace. We have peace with God in Jesus Christ. And because of the peace that we have with God, hostilities now broken, we can have the peace of God in our lives. Last week we looked at joy. Joy is probably one of my favorites. But what is so surprising to many is that the joy we looked at is the joy of Jesus, and the joy of Jesus is you and me and those whom he has come to save. And as the joy of Jesus takes root in our hearts, that often leads to the joy of Jesus flowing out of us to other people. Today we'll look at the fourth week, the candle of love. Everybody say love. Love. And you're thinking to yourselves, well, hey, Chris, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. And I say, everything, because despite the philosopher Tina Turner's views, love is more than a secondhand emotion. (laughs) Despite what that great band Boston sang, it's more than a feeling. The Bible, of course, in fact, is one long love story. The history of the world is actually one long love story, the love of God for people, and despite write maybe one book, or, and that would be the book of Song of Songs, which is a good read, by the way. That's a kind of racy book in the Bible. It doesn't always get preached a lot. It's, a, it's the one racy book of the Bible, although there are all kinds of strange things in the Scripture. That's the racy one. When the Bible describes love, it describes love not so much like the world does, which has to do with emotions or romance feelings, things you can fall in of and out of of like a hole in the ground. When the Bible describes love, it always talks about a decisive action, sacrifice for the good of others. That's the love of God. That's the love the Scripture speaks about. That's the great love story that is revealed through the pages of Scripture. And that's what today's gospel in John chapter 3 talks all about. Now, the chances are pretty good that if you have at least one Bible verse memorized, it's probably good chance John 3.16. Now, our right one people have a little bit more of an advantage than you guys because they actually hear that verse every single week. It's part of what's called the comfortable words. Those comfortable words come after the confession and after the priest speaks absolution, the forgiveness that's brought to us through Jesus Christ. Then come the words of comfort, the comfortable words 
for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know that one? If you don't, today's your day, right? Let it sink in and, and let it find a home within you. Martin Luther said John 3.16 is the heart of the Bible. He went on to say that it is the gospel in miniature. If you were to distill the whole book down, all the books down to one sentence, it would be John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God loves. God loved and God loves the world. God loved and God loves you. God loved and God loves me. God loved and God loves this church, the people here, the people there, the people somewhere else. God loves every person who ever lived. That includes you and that includes me. God loves you is the most important thing you could ever know. But not just merely an idea of God's love, but the reality of God's love for you in your life. God loves you. And he won't stop loving you. Because remember, God's love is decisive action. God's love is sacrifice for the sake of the other. God's love is not about himself. God's love is about you. Oh, yes, it flows from who he is. It flows from his very nature and character. But God's love, his decisive action and sacrifice for the good of another, well, God's love for you is not because of you so much or because of what you do. God's love is because of him and because of what God has done. I can remember a conversation I had with a woman some years ago. We were doing premarital counseling. I had the couple in there. They were glowing as premarital couples do. Uh, give them a couple years, but right? <laughs> nah, they'll just glow more. They'll glow more. Um, but I remember just having this conversation. We we're talking about God's love. We we're talking about the Bible. And, and I just threw that one out there. And I've learned not to do this anymore, but I, I didn't know this at the time. I said, well, you know, tell me something about God's love. And I, I expected to hear back John 3.16, and I got back. She said, oh, I know one Bible verse, and it, I think it's about God's love. And I said, yeah, come on, tell me. And she said, God helps those who help themselves. Now, some of you understand why that is laughter. Some of you aren't so sure. That's actually Ben Franklin. He didn't write any of the Bible books. Ben Franklin's the same guy, and he did a lot of good things, but he's the same guy who said, like, we shouldn't have the eagle as our national bird. We should have the turkey. So he did a lot of good, but he did a lot of damage with that one line, God helps those who help themselves. God's love has nothing to do with whether or not we can help ourselves. In fact, God's love, God's love, his decisive action and his sacrifice for the good of others comes because we really can't help ourselves no matter how much we might try through our niceness or our goodness or our religion, through our giving or through any other thing. No, God loves because that's who God is. And that's the way God rolls. God is a God who loves. You cannot make God love you any more than he does. You cannot make God love you 
any less than he does. On your worst days, God does not love you less. On your best days, God does not love you more. God's love is not a performance-oriented love. And this is the heart, really the heart of what God has been teaching me personally for the last 31 years since I've been walking with him. And I'm really sure that he was trying to teach me before that. I just wasn't listening before those days. When I think about my life, when I think about my growth in God, when I think about where I mature in faith, when I think about the places where a steadiness enters in and a stability and a confidence and an assurance and a peace, where those places enter in are always a result of and out of the times in which God has revealed to me personally, experientially, the fact that he loves me. The most important thing that you can know for yourself is that God loves you. I think about the times, the mountaintop times, and they always seem to focus around the fact that God loves me. I was thinking this morning about some of those times, like, Lord, those times in which you spoke so deeply to my heart about who you are and who I am to you, always about your love, always revelation that leads to a greater depth, a greater love back, a greater sacrifice, a greater willingness to be his. I was thinking this morning about the time in which I was on Pine Mountain in Georgia. I was hiking. I was a couple miles from the car. I was on my way back. I'd been out for a day hike. It was summertime. Pine Mountain, Georgia is exactly what its name implies, a mountain full of pine trees. And as I was walking back to the car, one of those summertime thunderstorms began to roll in, very similar to the kind we get here. It came fast. It came sort of out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't even on the schedule of the weather for that day that I was aware of. And as that storm came in, it literally sat upon the top of that mountain, and I ran as fast as I could. I was trying to get back to my car before it hit, and I didn't make it. And it just sat there on top of that mountain, and that mountain literally shook because lightning was crashing all around me, and that is not a place you want to be in a thunderstorm. I literally, I could hear tree branches shattering and splintering and that flash bang that was instantaneous. I was on my face just praying the prayer you pray in a situation like that. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I'm sure I never even got to help. I just, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And that's when the still small voice of God spoke. See, his voice is not like the thunder. It's not like the crash of the trees around in the midst of a storm. It's a quiet voice. It's a gentle voice. It's a voice that speaks deeply into the core of who you are in the inside. Whether to the mind or the heart, I don't really know. Some combination of the two. In the midst of the crashing of the thunder, what I heard the Lord speak was, I am so much bigger than this. And I love you. I don't know how long I was there in the storm. What I know is I never heard another crash of thunder around me. I never really noticed another flash of lightning. When I got up off my face in the pine needles, it was dead still all around, and the rain had stopped. And the love of God was something more to me than merely words. It was an experience that had gone inside of me. 
by the power of the Spirit. Romans 5.5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not merely an idea, something God does and takes and puts within for those who seek after Him, for those who are going hard after God. I was thinking again about love this morning and when God has revealed this to me, and I think probably the deepest place, even deeper than that, was a place in seminary. It was in the middle of January, in the dark of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh in January is not a nice place to be because it's cold and it's dark. Like this kind of day is springtime in Pittsburgh. It was dark and it was cold. It was the end of like eight days straight of ice storms. And I was up in the night, three in the morning, four in the morning, those times that you wake up because you can't sleep because the world feels too heavy. Your mind will not rest. Your heart cannot get to ease when anxiety is crashing in, when the grief is stirred up. I was thinking about my father who had recently died, and I'd think about the fact that we had left everything. We'd left a great job and a great home to follow him to this place where we thought it would be great in the midst of seminary, and it was hard, and it was painful. And we were sick, and we were tired, and we had moved, and our child was totally stirred up and out of sorts. And all I could think to say to God in the midst of our basement, they have things like that in Pittsburgh, in the midst of the dark of the night, in the middle of an ice storm, was, God, if you really love me, wouldn't you treat me better than this? That's an honest question from an honest heart. And I've discovered over the years when my heart comes honestly before the Lord, I, I generally get back answers. But the answers that we get back are not always the answers we expect because it was in that moment in the dark on that horrible basement floor that God showed me the cross. God didn't just show me the the pretty white cross that's on the wall behind me. He didn't show me the golden cross that we process in and out of behind as we go into our traditional service. He showed me the cross, the bloody cross, the cross where the Son of God was betrayed and humiliated the place where I betrayed and humiliated the Son of God, the place where you betrayed and humiliated the Son of God, the place where all people have betrayed and humiliated the Son of God. And he said, in that place, and at that time, in space, time, history, my love for you was forever sealed. I demonstrated the depths to which I would go. Of course, if you know anything about the Scriptures, you know it didn't stop there because the Scripture even says He descended to the dead. He went into hell itself to lead out captives from their place of captivity. Do you know the love of God? Has it become something more than words? Do you know on that day, in that place, in space and in time, for you, the love of God was forever sealed No, you don't have to have the same experience as mine in the details of it, but has it become personal for you yet and real? Is it in your bones? Are you breathing it from your lungs as you breathe in and you breathe out? This love of God for you. And not just on the days when you look good, when you feel good, when you act good, when others are praising you. Is it getting into you on the days when you fall far short of your own expectations, your own standards? Because that's the place 
where you know it's really real, on the day when you just about hate yourself because you did it again, you said the words, you went back to that old habit, that old addiction, that old coping mechanism, that old faulty technique for trying to obtain love from others. And then you realize, you recognize, oh, oh, that's the place you need to know the love of God. That's the place I think is revealed the most beautifully and in the best and deepest ways. Well, I won't tell you the details of it. I can remember a night when I was confronted by my own sin. I was confronted by the fact that though I was a pastor in a church, that though I told people about the love of God, I had done something that really hurt somebody dear to me. And I, and I felt dirty. Do you know what that feels like? When the shame catches up, when the guilt catches up, when, when you're not playing games, you're not hiding, you're not, you're not doing anything, you're just kind of exposed to you. And in that place, when all I wanted to do was put my head under the covers and hide, it was in that place that a child of mine who was just itty-bitty at the time began to cry, and I went up the stairs, and I picked that child up, and I took that child to the bathroom, and along the way, as I walked by the mirror, I caught a, an image of myself and the child out of the corner of my eye, and all I could think was, man, I love this kid. And in that moment, in the midst of my darkness, the Lord said, how much more do I love you? You know it in that place. He wants to reveal it to you in that place. The place of your failings and your shame. The place of your darkness and your heartache. The place you really don't want to tell other people about. In that place, God's love is for you. God's love is for you. Now what's remarkable is that when it says that God so loved the world... The world means anyone, and the world means everyone. The world means you, and the world means me. It means anyone. It really is a big word. Whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It goes on to 17, though. Not as many people have that one memorized. They actually, 16 and 17 are supposed to be linked together. It'd be a good one to memorize. If you already got 16 down... Well, why not memorize 17? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Christ did not come to condemn you. He did not come to condemn you. Condemnation is actually the natural state of things in this world. That's where we live apart from Christ. Condemned is the word over us by our own actions. That's who we are apart from God our natural condition, the sentence of our lives, and the Scripture, because God is kind, the Scripture takes great pains to paint a very vivid picture for you and me of who we are apart from Him. Like sheep, we have all gone astray. We've all followed our own ways. We have missed the mark. We've disobeyed. We don't believe. We ignore the God who made us. We ignore the God who loves us. We follow after other things in hopes that they will bring us life when the God who loves us is waiting, calling, saying, won't you just come to me? 
We rebel against the law. We follow our own desires. We've redefined sin, so it's really not that bad. And we turn on those who tell us the word no. You do not need to teach your child how to say no. It comes instinctively, naturally. The scripture says, and I'm paraphrasing wildly on this one, we're all in a sinking boat. We just are. That's not in the book, by the way. That's like (laughs) akin to Ben Franklin. The boat's are sinking and we're all in it. And that's where God's love moves in. His decisive action and sacrifice for the good of another. His decisive action and sacrifice for you, for me, for the whole world, for whoever would believe in Him that we might be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Ours is to receive it. Ours is to believe it. Ours is to trust that the love of God is enough. And then to learn to live our lives in the place of enough. God's love for you is enough. And what happens when you live in that place is that the deeds of darkness, the deeds of wickedness begin to fall away. You don't have to work quite as hard to do it. I'm not saying there isn't some effort involved but it becomes an overflow of life rather than something you're striving to obtain. That's the difference between the love of God being words on the outside and the love of God being something that lives within you because of your faith in Jesus Christ and the entrance of the Holy Spirit within you. Those are a million miles apart, by the way, outside and inside. But I've found when I live in that place, of knowing the love of God for me, of resting in those words that he has written, in the Logos, the eternal word of God, in resting in those words he has spoken to me personally about what he has done and who he is. When I live in those words, I just love him back. And, and we sing a song like, adore and how worthy he is. And I find my heart can't help but say, oh yeah, yeah. That's why I laughed at the end of that song. Because if I didn't, I would pop. Yeah, you get it over there. You'll pop if you don't let it out when you live in that place. This is actually what he's come to give us. And in that place, living in that love, I find that I get better and better. But this is the big learning curve for me. And learning how to love other people. But that's my biggest learning curve. I'm pretty good with God. I'm learning with people. But isn't that where we live? And isn't that where we fail? And isn't that where, well, isn't that where we need God's power the most? It's in the midst of work. In the midst of your family. It's in the midst of your life group, your church. We need this love. What if in the year ahead, and we're going to really look at who Jesus is next year, we kept the framework of the love of God. That we ask him, and I just ask you to start praying this. Lord, would you help us to clearly see in 2020 the love of God in Jesus Christ? That's something the world needs. 
And that's something that I need. And I suspect it might be something you need too. Let's pray. Oh Lord, Lord, would you call us, especially those of us who have never known that love, would you call us gently into that love? And for those who have known it, but it's grown cold, would you help us to get quiet in the days ahead? When everything starts to slow down a little bit, maybe after Tuesday, Wednesday, would you help us, Lord, to make space? And then, Jesus, would you give us a Christmas gift? Would you reveal the cross to us individually and as a people? That we would see in the place of your love, your love for the world, but your love for us, for me. And from that place, let it all flow. We thank you, Lord, that this is a very biblical prayer. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.